Good morning. Today's scripture readings will be taken from Psalms 23. That's the first one. And the second one is Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths, sorry, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, that they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalms 23. Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good, for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There ends Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. Thanks, Leslie. So for the last number of weeks, we've been looking at the book of Hebrews, uh, thinking in terms of initially God in Christ being our great trailblazer, and then following that, Hebrews 13, chapters 12 and 13 really, us being trailblazers as we follow Jesus. So Jesus is the trailblazer, and then we follow him after Easter. Um, in the liturgical calendar, to know him more, live for him more, walk with him more, trailblazing, you climbing your spiritual mountain, work out your faith in fear and trembling, Paul writes. So we all have to climb our spiritual mountain, we all have to blaze our trail, Jesus has gone before us. And, you know, the trailblazing can be difficult. You know, life is, can be difficult, right? We all know that. Lots and lots of hassles. But we are reminded that we are not on our own. And so the book of Hebrews ends with this doxology or benediction. Doxology literally means to give glory to God. And interesting, when you see the word glory, you can often read, Place it with beauty, God's beauty. Give glory to God. Give all beauty to God. So when it talks about the glory of God, it's also talking about the beauty of his creation and of his resplendent universe, God's beauty. Kind of gives a different edge to it. But the book ends with this doxology or benediction. So this statement is often read at the end of services. Uh, offering it up as a blessing that God goes with us in our lives after we 
leave our service of worship. And as I mentioned, the book of Hebrews talks a lot about worship. And so we give our worship to God. So we're in that train, 2,000 years of Christian worship, of giving worship to God in Christ. So we've used this uh, image before. It's called the parabola of salvation. And you see there is three parts of it, the glorious son, the suffering son, and the triumphant son. Everything above that line in the middle there, that parallel line that goes across, everything above that is in heaven. God, the glorious Son, before he ever comes to earth, the glorious Son. Smaller print there if you can read it, the instrument of creation. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, there's an amazing statement of Christ's pre-creation work. You can look at that. And the expression of the being and glory of God. So Christ, the glorious Son, prior to his life on earth. And then he comes down below that line, and below that line is on earth. The suffering Son. Christ for you and for me, for a while lower than the angels, the writer of Hebrews says. And ultimately death on the cross. And then it swings back up, and there we have the triumphant son, which is the son that we have been thinking of with Easter, the triumphant son, seated at the right hand of God. These are all phrases from the book of Hebrews. So the glorious son, the suffering son, the triumphant son. And so Christ now, seated at the right hand of God, is the triumphant son, who is speaking on our behalf, as the book of Hebrews says, mediating for us, speaks for us, speaks for you. (laughs) He's our advocate, loves us, cares for us. And we wait for his return, the triumphant son. So that's the parabola of salvation. So I I say that just as a reminder of what we've been looking at since the book of Hebrews. So that, you know, that maybe makes sense to you, maybe not. But uh, that's where the book goes, and we are looking at that book, I'm suggesting maybe written by Priscilla. Now, if that's the case, it's the only book in the New Testament written by a woman. So all the scholars aren't in agreement on that, but they recognize that that's a possibility. So Marianne, that may be something linked with you. (laughs) Maybe Priscilla said, I can't do this, I'm a woman. Jesus says to her, oh, I think you can. Let's do it. I don't know. Anyway, Priscilla and Aquila. We hear of them in the book of Acts. Interesting, Priscilla is always mentioned first. And in the Greek world, the one mentioned first is the prominent person. Priscilla and Aquila. Both were teachers, but Priscilla had the lead. She's a woman. Anyway, there we go. So we start the doxology. Now may the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. So there's only two verses that we're looking at. This is the first verse of the doxology or the benediction. So we look at it a little bit. The God of peace. That title is used in a variety of places. Used in Romans 15 at the end, God is also called the God of peace. So it's a name for God. 
This is a title for God. In the Old Testament, there are a variety of names for God. Here's another one, the God of peace. The God of shalom. Again, referencing Marianne, I didn't sense God's peace. The God of peace. Beekner says that peace is not the absence of struggle, but the presence of God. I like that. Because peace, we can have peace, but still be in the midst of lots of stuff. God's peace is there in the midst of the struggle. So for you and for me this morning, we, you know, you may be in challenging situations. Could be health situations, relationship situations, finance situations, whatever, whatever it might be. But that doesn't mean necessarily that we have to be, you know, living in chaos, living in strife. Peace doesn't mean the absence of struggle, but the presence of God, the shalom of God. So the writer talks about the God of peace, the God of shalom. So when we look at this portrait of Christ, it begins with the peace that God offers to us. And so the, the preachers at the end of services says, now may the God of peace be with you. The God of peace, the God of shalom. In the midst of whatever challenges you are, are having the God of peace with you and with me still. Secondly, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. Interesting that this is actually the only clear reference to the resurrection of Jesus in the entire book. It doesn't mean it's not assumed or presented, but it's the only clear one. Jesus brought back from the dead. It's actually an unusual word. It's not the usual word for resurrection, anastasis. It's another verb, and it means he's led up. He was led back up, brought back up. So Christ is it's an action that's happening to him. Jesus doesn't raise himself. He's brought back up, led back up. Who By whom? By God. God brings him back up. From the dead. And dead is necros. That is dead. You can't get more dead than that. You are as dead as a doornail, right? You are gone. <laughs> right? We fall over and we're gone. And you know, you know that. You know that. Saw my dad just a few minutes after he died and his body was still warm, but you know, he was gone. I knew he was gone. So necros is that. But Jesus is brought back from necros. He's brought back. He's led back up. And of course, our great hope is, in reality, is that in Jesus, not only was he brought back up, but we will be brought back up. So we have the witnesses, you know, looking down, watching over us. Brought back up from the dead. So it's a word of hope. Who? Well, the great shepherd of the sheep. That's why we read Psalm 23. We sang Psalm 23. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Other scriptures talk about Jesus as the good shepherd. John 10. Peter talks about Christ as the chief shepherd. 
And then the greatest shepherd of all, if you like, is the Lord. God is our shepherd. Christ, his son, is shepherd. God is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. Jesus is your good shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. He is the great shepherd. Great is mega. <laughs> right. Politicians wear the hat and it says mega. Well, I don't think so. Mega is the great shepherd. Jesus, for you, for me, the great shepherd, meaning that indeed you are not on your own. You may feel like you're on your own. But God is there for us. He shepherds us. He is our companion. He loves us. He cares for us. So, you know, it's a bit of a hard image, right? Because we don't have too many sheep walking around here in Weston, right? Normally. I don't think I've ever seen a sheep here. 30 years, where are all the sheep? <laughs> They're not here. I've seen what? Coyotes, beavers. I've seen them down in the valley. Never seen a sheep. Down in the county, in Camp Prince Edward County, there are some sheep down there. Not too many shepherds, but in Bolivia, you see sheep and shepherds. So we as city dwellers, we have to work a little bit at some of these images. But God is our good shepherd, our great shepherd. It's a story of a shepherd. It's interesting, my great-great-grandfather was a shepherd. In England, my, his, my dad's family initially were English, came to Ireland. And my great-great-grandfather was a shepherd right up on the border of England and Scotland. And he had a bunch of sheep, and he was a sheep farmer. Interesting. Eventually sold his sheep farm, got some money for it, and went to Ireland where it was way cheaper to live and bought this bigger house called Black Hall. Even had a name, so it was pretty big. And he tried to live the good life. I didn't ever knew my great-great-grandfather, but he tried to live the good life for one year, by, the, by one life. By the end of his lifetime, all his money was gone, and the children have nothing to inherit. There was ten of them, and they all went and did their own thing. But my great-great-grandfather lived for the little while as a big shot even though really he was a chief shepherd or a shepherd <laughs> from northern England. Anyway, what am I saying? A sheep farmer notices that one of his sheep is gone. And so he sets out to find the sheep, you know, the wandering sheep. And he was gone a long way. And he kept going. And finally, over the hills and vales, he finds this little sheep, and the sheep is at a pool of water, drinking. And the, sh the sheep farmer goes over and picks him up gently and says, now I know why you wandered. You were thirsty. Picks him up, takes him back to his herd. I thought that was a lovely story. No word of anger. No word of anger of wandering off. There was a reason somehow in your mind you wandered off. Chief Shepherd finds the sheep, brings them back, brings her back. Brings us back when we wander. <laughs> what are you searching for? What are we searching for? My great-great-grandfather was searching, tried to live the good life for a while. 
That's what he was searching for. By the end, it was all gone. So God is our shepherd. He's there for us. And Jesus is our shepherd. One of the first pieces of art from the early Christian church. Note the shepherd carrying the sheep. This, by the way, precedes the crucifix. We'll often see a crucifix, people wearing a cross, often with Christ on the cross. We think that's an ancient, and it is ancient, but it's not as ancient as this. This is one of the very first art pieces for Christians. God is our shepherd. Christ is our shepherd. He is there for you and for me. So we have this portrait of Christ. And then fourthly, we have the blood of the eternal covenant. That's code language in the book of Hebrews for Christ's priestly work. It's what Jesus has done for us, and you can read about it a lot in Hebrews chapter 8 and 9. By the blood of the eternal covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 talks about the new covenant. The old covenant, you, you, know, you had to sacrifice things all the time. Every time, every day, you messed up, you had a sacrifice to do. That was the Old Covenant, the Sinai Covenant, Moses. But then there's the Sion Covenant we talked about, the New Covenant. And the New Covenant is what God has done for us. So we don't have to keep going through all those sacrifices every day. God has done something in Jesus for you and for me. And in the language of Hebrews, it is the shed blood. In the Old Testament, it was the shed blood of the animals. That was the effective agency. Now we see that Jesus' blood, for you and for me, is shed so that we might be made whole. So we can say the effective agency of Jesus' sacrifice is his shed blood. This great sacrifice... go by a car accident, we've seen some of those, right, and somebody is actually hurt, and there will be blood on the pavement, red blood. The person has passed, you know, later on they put sawdust on it, they try to soak it up, make it look whatever, sanitize it. But the blood, our blood, you and I carry all this red blood, Christ had his blood shed for you and for me that we might be made whole whether we understand it all or not. God's love for us, Jesus' love for us. Book of Hebrews, the blood of the eternal covenant. So what is that portrait about? Well, it talks about Jesus. God raised Jesus. God raised Jesus and he will raise you and me. That is our great hope, the parabola of salvation. Hebrews 13, 8 says what? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, the same yesterday and today and forever. Yesterday is 2,000 years ago in terms of his life on earth. Today is now. Forever is the future. So it's past, present, future. Jesus Christ is the same for us. So that gives us hope, right? Because if you and I are connected with Jesus, it's it's not like when you die, all of a sudden you're not connected. You are still connected. We go to be with him. Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. The word Hebrews actually means those who have crossed over. So the book of Hebrews. Those who have crossed over. 
crossed over what? Well, they crossed over the Red Sea in the Old Testament. They crossed over the Jordan. They crossed over into the promised land, the new land. And now we cross over what? Well, we cross over from death to life. That's, that's our Hebrews reality. So it's, it's, it's incredible. What God has done for you and me in Jesus, if we have faith, if we open our hands and receive it, if we clench our fists, then it means nothing for you. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever, if those are just words, it means nothing. They're just words. But in faith, that can be life-changing. Real hope in the midst of it all, not meaning there's no challenges, doesn't mean no struggle, but there's hope in the midst of it all for you and for me because of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews, Priscilla, wants us to know that as she gives this doxological statement. Next verse, make you complete in everything good so that you may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The doxology ends. So what do we see here? Well, one, God makes us complete. Complete there means restored. It means you've had a broken arm, let's say, and it's been, it's been mended, and now it's okay. Simon was away on a, on a trip in the Canary Islands a little while ago, and when he was there, it was work. They had an outing in the water in kayaks, and he stepped out of the kayak, went right up, and came down right on his elbow and dislocated his elbow. Crazy pain. Took four hours for it to be treated. Four hours of crazy pain. When they put it back together, all of a sudden the pain went down, but he still, I mean, his arm was blown up, totally blue like crazy. Dislocation. But now it's mending, you see what I mean? Now it's being restored. It's, it's, it's getting better. It's all well on the way. That's God makes us complete. God mends your brokenness. All the broken pieces of your life. All those broken pieces. You ever broken a piece? <laughs> Dropped a mirror and it goes like crazy? Million pieces? Man, I've done that. The broken pieces of my life. Wow. Broken pieces maybe of your life. God is in the business of restoring all those. Putting them back together. God makes us complete. That's exactly what that means. He equips us to do his will. So what is your main purpose? My main purpose. Fundamentally it is to do God's will. For all of us. And we are equipped to do his will. So your greatest mission in life is not just your job. Your greatest mission is to be God's art piece and do his will in whatever ways, little ways, bigger ways. That's your mandate, to do his will. Protestants believe in what? The priesthood of all believers. Everybody's a priest. You do his will. That's our job, and that's where the writer goes. And we are equipped to do his will. How? By the Holy Spirit. One writer says, the prayer is that all the members may be equipped 
with all the necessary means which will enable them to do God's will. All the members. In our church, you know, it's not just a few people. We're looking for some new folk to add to the ministerial team, but, but, and that's important. That will add a lot of value, I think. Children, youth, connecting. But the reality is, is we're, we're all priests. You hire more people, that doesn't mean, okay, I can now just kind of, you know, great, sit on the sidelines. That's not the point, right? We only have power as we all are engaged. But when we are all engaged, we have power through the Holy Spirit. Twelve disciples changed the entire world. We got a lot more here than twelve. The world can be changed, honestly. What God does through us, little ways, big ways. God working for us to do his will. That, that, that's number one. Doesn't matter what age we are. Still, can we do his will? Whatever years you have left, what doesn't matter, do his will. Do his will. One thing I want to do, I've been thinking about my life, I don't know how much longer I've got, I want to die well. Isn't that strange? But I do. I want to die well. I don't want to die in fear. I want to die knowing God's peace. And I want my family, my kids, to be able to see me not freaking out, but in peace. Because that, I think, can be a gift. Maybe someone can die, us, in peace. That's a big witness, man. That is a big witness. So that's something we all can do, or whatever else. God's will for you, for me. Equipped to do his will. Hmm. Priests. And our work is pleasing. The God of the universe can actually be pleased with your life and my life. No matter what the past is, okay? We may have screwed up. All right, I'm not happy with that. Now, going forward, can I please God? Can you please God? Text says we can from Philippians, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We can bring a smile to God's face. Lots of stuff going on on planet Earth that's not bringing a smile to God. But you know, there are lots of little things going on that is a smile. God sees it all. You do a kind deed for someone else. You give up your seat on the subway train for somebody with a big load. God looks at that and says, I like that. Smile. doesn't have to be big. What ways can we do that? All of our work is pleasing to God, and it is through Jesus. That's the fourth point there, through Jesus. It's all through Jesus. That's, that's the book of Hebrews. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Son is Jesus, through Jesus. God is made manifest to us in Jesus. That's a great story, that's, and that's true. Not meaning it's fiction, it's true. It's a wonderful story that God has revealed himself in this human. So if you want to know what God looks like, then look to Jesus. 
And then starting next week, we begin Pentecost. And Pentecost is the Father and the Son together sending the Holy Spirit to move in our midst and empower us. That's Pentecost. goes for seven weeks in the liturgical calendar. We begin next week. A lot of pressure on Beth. Beth is going to lead that service. She has to figure that one out. Pentecost. Fifty days of rejoicing on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So rekindle our vision, number one. What does that mean? Nothing is too hard for God. We need that to know that. Rekindle our vision. Nothing is too hard. Situations that you're facing, we think, well, it's too hard, it'll never change. Nothing is too hard. Nothing is impossible for God. Doesn't we hear that numerous times in the Scriptures? You may be facing a situation and you think it's impossible. It's not impossible. Nothing is too hard for God. We need to have faith, hope in that. Renew your commitment. That means renew your desire to do God's will. Do His will. Do His will. You can work in the factory. I remember mom of one of my singing mates worked in a factory down near the Queensway. That was her job, 25 years. She went in and worked on the line. But she was a dear Christian woman. And, you know, in the midst of being on the line, she was a witness to people all around her for 25 years. Do his will. A Ukrainian woman, a Ukrainian family. Now all the disaster in Ukraine. She was here doing God's will for you and for me as well. And then finally, rejuvenate our weary arms. <laughs> Which means what? Go to Jesus, our good shepherd, our great shepherd. He is there, our chief shepherd. And he will help us strengthen our arms so that we can carry on. We get worn out, but our shepherd is there to help us. Rekindle our vision, renew our commitment, rejuvenate our weary arms. Those three R's, by the way, are from Barclay. I liked it when I saw it. Rekindle, renew, rejuvenate. God's goodness to us. So, you are not on your own. You are not on your own. Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. He is. So we are invited to trust and depend and lean on Him. Really lean on Him. This day, this long weekend, this week. In Christ's name, amen.